Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Thanks for tuning in to CRISPR Cuts. We're joined today by Dr. Avery Posey, a researcher at UPenn, focusing on CAR-T therapies and other immunotherapies that he and his team are using to advance the fight against cancer. Welcome, Avery. Hi. Avery, will you please kick things off by telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, and the research projects you and your team are working on? Sure. Well, I am from Maryland. I'm from a small town in southern Maryland, just south of Washington, D.C., called Indian Head. And I went to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, for a bachelor's in biochemistry and a bachelor's in bioinformatics and computational biology. I studied genetics at the University of Chicago, and I performed a postdoc at the University of Pennsylvania with Dr. Carl June, who's an expert in T-cell engineering and cancer immunotherapy. I started working in this field really because of my interest in how we can use genetic editing to affect human disease. And at that point, we were seeing the most work translated to the clinic in T-cells because T-cells are very easy to manipulate ex vivo or outside of the body to change them to have an advantageous new function. And that is the work of CAR T-cells. CARs are these chimeric proteins that allow T-cells to have new function to be able to be redirected towards a certain target, and in this case, a tumor. My lab is interested in how we can engineer T-cells with this new molecule to target certain solid tumors. And we do this specifically in my lab based on the sugars that are different on a tumor cell from what we might find on a normal tissue. I think it's really interesting in general, this field of immunotherapy, and we have been hearing a lot about CAR T-cell therapy, particularly for treating cancer. But just to give a little bit more background, I think you already specified what exactly CAR-T is and why it's being used. But importantly, why was it not used before? So why is it only being talked about right now or why is it in focus right now? So as with all scientific research, it takes a long time to get to something that's clinically relevant. And CAR T-cells have been studied and worked on for the last 30 years. And they're just now making it to the clinic because there were a lot of advances that needed to happen before we could get into human trials. We had to learn how to grow human T-cells outside of the human body. And that took a lot of effort from many different institutions and investigators. We had to learn how to use viral vectors that are similar to some of the pathogenic viruses that we have in human disease, like a genetically modified version of HIV, how to use that safely so that it doesn't cause disease and that we can use it to our advantage to make a cell do what we want it to do. And then we had to learn how to develop these molecules specifically so that they have a long-term effect. There were first-generation strategies of, of cars that were developed that could work in a petri dish in a laboratory, but they didn't work well in our mouse models, and they didn't work well in humans because we hadn't learned yet how to make them last for a long time. And now we have finally gotten to that stage 30 years after the first cars were reported in the scientific literature, 30 years from then, we're here at a point in which 
the FDA has approved use of this technology to treat certain diseases. And in this case, there's approval to treat pediatric acute lymphoblastic leukemia and adult diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. So Avery, I think a lot of people maybe have heard of CAR-T therapy in general, but I think relatively few people really understand what it is and how it works. So would you mind to elaborate a bit more on that? Like maybe start with how it would work in the clinic. You know, like, so if you have someone in that is going to receive CAR-T therapy, what's the process? What happens? And how does that work to attack their cancers? So this is a relatively simple process now. How this happens clinically, a patient would come into a hospital, and it needs to be one of the major medical hospitals that are using this technology. And the patient is apheresis, so there's blood drawn, a significant amount of blood is drawn, and the patient's white blood cells are collected. And depending on the treatment that they're receiving, the cells are either frozen or they're shipped directly to a manufacturer. And that manufacturer does all of the work to make the CAR T-cells. They activate the T-cells, they treat the T-cells with a virus that turns them into CAR T-cells, and they expand them in a very clean, safe laboratory, what's called a GMP production. Those cells, once they are CAR T-cells, those cells are then frozen and shipped back to the hospital. So the patient can then go into their local hospital, receive their CAR T-cells, and then they need to be monitored over a certain amount of time. Now, the success rate of these cells had seen as early as 10 days complete ablation of a patient's tumor. That's not the case for every patient, but that tells you, compared to other cancer therapies, that shows you the power of these cells. Okay. So I find it really interesting that now we are at a point where you can actually go into a clinic and have, you know, your cells edited and inserted back. And as you mentioned before, this has taken a long time, over 30 years. So of course, along with the efforts of researchers, one important part is also the updates in technology, right? So do you think that technologies like CRISPR have kind of accelerated this process, bringing us to clinic? So I think that in the next generation, the next CAR T-cell therapies that we will see, CRISPR will definitely have a role. The format of the CAR T-cells now are a form of therapy called autologous. That means that they come from patient A, they are manufactured from patient A cells, and they go directly back into patient A. They can never be used to treat patient B because those cells from patient A any T-cells from patient A would recognize patient B as a foreign system and would attack patient B. And so it's important for accessibility to be able to have CAR T-cells that are universal or quote-unquote off-the-shelf so that they can be used to treat patient A, B, C, and D. And to do that, we have to be able to edit T-cells so that they lose the ability to cause disease from patient A into patient B. We have to limit their ability to recognize another individual as foreign. And to do that, we need gene editing technologies like CRISPR. So that would be very important in moving from an autologous therapy to an allergenic therapy and to something that's very universal. And this is very important, particularly for cancer patients, because it 
can sometimes be difficult to manufacture healthy CAR T cells from a patient who has been treated previously with very strong chemotherapies that has weakened their immune system. So if we take out weak cells from a patient and try to engineer them into a powerful cancer therapy, that may not be possible for every patient. And so we think that we can actually engineer better cancer therapies with CRISPR than with the current first-generation manufacturing. Right. So you mentioned chemotherapy, which is probably the only known method for most people right now for cancer treatment. So could you comment on how immunotherapy is a better or why is it a more exciting approach compared to chemotherapy or any other existing cancer therapies? Yes, so one of the major benefits of improvements in cancer therapy actually has been our ability to have something more targeted. And we saw this with some of the small molecules previously that we could target a drug specifically to a tumor and not cause general toxicity in all fast-growing cells in a person. We see that toxicity overtly when you see a cancer patient's hair fall out. But there are many other changes that are happening inside of that patient because of the chemotherapy. Chemotherapies in general limit growth and kill fast-growing cells. That works well for tumors, but that can also affect many normal vital organs, and it is a very toxic therapy. And so we're finally getting to a point where we're moving away from chemotherapy and moving towards something that can be considered more natural, although it's difficult for me to consider CAR T cells natural since we are actually genetically modifying them. But they do start as T cells from a patient. So they are naturally arising, then they are modified into a cancer therapy. So we're seeing cancer drugs being made from a person's own cells that did not cause disease in that person before, did not cause toxicity in that person before. So if our modifications don't go on to cause toxicities, and that's something that the field definitely has to work on and be very conscious about. If our modifications to these T cells don't cause toxicities, then we're actually improving on the safety profile of cancer therapies by using immune therapies. Not only this, but these immune therapies have the potential to reject or eradicate large masses of tumors. And we've seen this with many different modalities of immunotherapies. Probably the most well-known or exciting areas of immunotherapy now that are very accessible to patients are immune checkpoint blockades. And these are antibodies that can bind to molecules that are known to inhibit an immune system that tumors take advantage of, molecules like PD-1 and CTLA-4. There are new drugs that can block the activity of those inhibitory receptors, so-called cutting the brakes on the immune system and allowing reactivation or activity of that immune system to happen again and attack the tumor. Those immunotherapies are very exciting because in a low percentage of patients, 20 to 30 percent of patients, there are significant responses where very large masses of tumors are being eradicated. And those therapies work by releasing a general block on the immune system where CAR T cells can be improved and can improve on those modalities is that we can actually target a T cell specifically to the tumor and only in those T cells can we remove those blocks and activate those specific T cells that are targeted towards a tumor. That will improve on the safety profiles of immune therapies as well. So some of the checkpoint blockade molecules 
has some related toxicities because if you generally overexcite the immune system, you can start to cause autoimmune diseases that would go along with the anti-tumor responses in the patient. So many of these patients start to develop things like psoriasis or some develop diabetes and there are some cardiotoxicities associated with the checkpoint molecules, those antibody-based immune therapies. CAR T-cells may be able to improve on those toxicities by directly targeting the tumor and only activating significantly those T-cells that are tumor-specific. Yeah, I think it's really hard to overstate how important this kind of science is, that how much of an impact CAR T-therapies are going to make in our lives. Like, it's literally going to change how we think of medicine. You talked about this a bit already, like this technology, you know, it was maybe a, a long time coming, but lately it seems like it's moving pretty quickly. These therapies are already in the clinic, there are trials underway. And we know that UPenn in general is involved in several of these kind of one of the first hospitals that has started clinical trials. And your group in particular is involved in this area. So can you tell us a little bit more about the clinical trials that are currently underway and any others that are sort of in the planning stages? So there are over 300 clinical trials using CAR T-cells registered on clinicaltrials.gov mostly in two countries, in the United States and in China. There is lots of work being done in other hematopoietic malignancies, such as chronic lymphocytic leukemia or acute myeloid leukemia, multiple myeloma, and there's lots of excitement. There are also many companies now in the field that are doing this. As you mentioned, UPenn was one of the first institutions to run clinical trials in CAR T-cells, and there was a very impactful report of the first three patients treated with this technology developed at UPenn in 2011, and it made a very significant impact in the field. And we saw a dramatic growth in the involvement from others after that point. But where we're really excited about is the use of CAR T-cells against many of the solid tumors that are known to cause over 80% of cancer-related deaths. And these are pancreatic cancers and brain cancers, prostate cancers and breast cancers and ovarian cancers and colorectal cancers and lung cancers. So we are interested in those trials, following them intensely. Some of them have been run at the University of Pennsylvania, CAR T-cell trials for brain cancer, and currently there's a CAR T-cell trial ongoing for prostate cancer. There is also a CAR T-cell trial at UPenn for pancreatic cancer. Next year, we will hopefully open a new trial for a breast and ovarian cancer as well. And so we're looking for some evidence of CAR T-cells working in these tumors, similar to how they've worked in some of the leukemias that have had great success. You mentioned the involvement of some companies in these trials. Can you talk a little bit more about how that works? So a lot of these studies might start in an academic lab and then will receive support from a company to bring them through the clinical trial stage. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that process works? Yes. So a lot of research and development occurs in academia, but academia is not well suited to take a significant finding in a laboratory and in small clinical trials all the way through the trial network that it needs to in order for FDA approval. So it's definitely important that we collaborate with large and small 
pharmaceutical companies who have the ability to take these therapies forward so that they can be available for patients. And so there has been quite a few cases of significant investments from pharmaceutical industries in some of the academic labs that are developing CAR T cells to take those further beyond that one institution into the clinic. And this is a very exciting field. There is lots of excitement from investors as well to take CAR T cells to the clinic. You mentioned that a lot of the clinical trials are mainly in two countries here in the U.S. and in China. And I'm sure you've seen the news recently that there's a report out of China that there may have been the first babies that have been edited with CRISPR born. Do you want to comment on any of the science that is going on in China, like how it might be different than the stuff here in the States? Sure. So China is a very interesting country because there is a large scientific workforce that is well-trained and lots of technologies similar to the United States, but China has the ability to move a lot faster than the United States. And some of this is because there is less federal regulation necessary to start a clinical trial. From what I can understand from talking to colleagues in China, that the regulation necessary to start a clinical trial is approval from that specific hospital in which the clinical trial will be run. And I think Definitely having less regulations to start a clinical trial is important, but we also have to be very careful about the safety and ensure that we are maintaining the highest level of patient safety. So regulation in that sense is important. I do think that the United States needs to get a little better at starting clinical trials a little faster. So it's very exciting to see some of the work in China proceed. However, I do think that it's exciting to see the speed at which China can move a technology forward. But it's very important, I think, to ensure that we're still working ethically in these cases. And from my understanding, this was not an ethical use of scientific technology. Now, you're absolutely right that regulations, it's like a two-sided thing. We need that for safety. And at the same time, we also need to make sure that technology is not just stalled because of regulations. But that's one of the hurdles right now. The second thing would be even when, say, a clinical trial or when a therapy goes to clinical trial and passes through that, how accessible would it be to the general public? Would they have to pay a lot to get that or would it be as common as any other drug? So would you like to comment on that? Sure. This is not my field. (laughs) The pricing and marketing of pharmaceutical drugs is a very interesting area that I think requires expertise from a lot of different areas, including politics. CAR T-cells at this point are very expensive, and there is lots of discussions around whether insurance carriers will cover these therapies. Even if uh, there are other therapies that are more expensive that insurance companies have covered for 20 to 30 years. So decreasing the cost of some of these advanced therapies is very important. I've seen reports recently from large pharmaceutical companies that they are working to decrease the cost of these therapies. Specifically for your listeners, the cost of the CAR T-cell therapy for pediatric leukemias, the price tag is $475,000 for this one-time treatment. Interestingly, the company, which I think is the first of its kind, the company who markets this drug has a guarantee, a 30-day guarantee that this drug does not work in 30 days. The patient does not pay for the therapy. That is, to my knowledge, the first guarantee of its kind. For adults with lymphoma, these therapies cost in the 
thousand dollar range. So it's a little cheaper for adults, and there is no guarantee for that patient population. There are definitely needs to be efforts to make these therapies cheaper. I think that some of that will come from other companies working in the field from competition will drive down costs, but also improvements in manufacturing will drive down costs. Having a one CAR T-cell product that can treat multiple patients using some of the cheap editing technologies like CRISPR, that may as well drive down costs because you can take what is now a personalized treatment into something that's more applicable for many patients. You can make a large bank of cells that can treat dozens of patients, and that may drive down costs of these therapies as well. But it's very important, I think, for cancer treatment to ensure that patients aren't left with a financial toxicity of treatment. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're right in saying that apart from, you know, other areas which contribute to the cost, manufacturing and technology is maybe an area that can actually be helped by CRISPR or just improving access to CRISPR because once that process gets streamlined, then maybe the cost might automatically go down. So it would be interesting to see how CRISPR influences that in the future or how in general immunotherapy costs go down in the future. But medicine or immunotherapy is one area where CRISPR is bound to have an impact on and seems to be promising. So is there any other area that comes to mind where you think CRISPR might have a great influence or great impact on? So I'm interpreting your question to mean in terms of making new medicines that CRISPR has an impact. So then my answer to you is that I think CRISPR helps us learn a lot more information. Maybe it's not something that would be useful in developing a new medicine, but understanding some of the basic science and biology of T-cells, for instance. So I know investigators who are doing large screens, knocking out individual genes in T-cells to look at what can we lose to enhance the function. But that can also be used to learn a lot about how these cells actually work. There's a dirty little secret in medicine that many of the drugs that are FDA approved and go into patients, we don't completely understand how they work. We know that they work, but we don't know how they work. So CAR T cells are part of this. We don't actually know how a CAR signals, what signaling mechanisms are happening in the CAR. If we knew that information, we could better fine-tune how CAR T cells work, improve their ability to function in a tumor, in a very nasty, solid tumor, and we can build better therapies based on that information. So I think that CRISPR will have a long run in the research laboratory to help our scientific understanding. Beyond that, there are definitely, I mean, I read lots of popular news, and there's definitely application for CRISPR in tropical diseases as well, and maintaining mosquitoes, I think, is a very interesting area, and reducing some of that burden. So let's end with kind of a fun question along these lines. So, yeah, I think it's clear that in the near future, I think like a lot of people will start thinking about CRISPR as part of their everyday lives. Like it's already becoming a part of medicine. It's going to change food. It's going to change textiles. It's going to impact a lot of industries. So what's in sort of your, in your experience so far, what's the most interesting or unusual application of CRISPR that you've come across? Huh. So I think most people think of CRISPR as being able to knock out a molecule 
to disrupt the gene. Where I think CRISPR has the most potential is being able to tightly turn on and turn off a gene at will. And so these are the approaches for CRISPR that I think are going to be very important in the future, not just knocking out a gene, but to finally tune a gene's expression to turn it on and turn it off reversibly. These are less crude than some of our current gene editing technologies, and they will allow us to have better control over genetic systems. So I know that's a very general answer, but that's the best application of CRISPR, I think, that is yet to come clinically. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, a lot of people that know about CRISPR, they think of it as being able to knock out a gene, but it can do so much more. And we're basically still learning all the different ways that it can be applied in a lot of different areas. Avery, want to thank you very much for your time. We really enjoyed speaking with you. So what's the best way for any of our listeners to get in touch with you if they have any questions about any of these topics? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the social media platform I use the most. My name is Avery Posey. Thanks, Avery. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo, produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>